Heavenly Father, Lord, I'm just so thankful, God, for the opportunity to speak your word. Lord, you've called us to minister, Father God. You have called every single one of us to do something for you, God. And I just thank you so much, God, Lord, that you have called me to preach. But I'm so thankful, thankful, God, Lord, you have called me to do so many good things, Father. But, Lord, it is all in vain if I do not follow your word. It is all in vain if I do not follow in love. If I do not do the things that you have called me to do, God. Lord, I pray, Lord, that I humble myself down in front of you. I, I pray that I pour myself out to you, Father God, that your name be lifted high. Lord, I pray, Lord, that you would just speak through my mouth, Father God. Lord, I pray, Lord, that you would open up our ears, our minds, and our hearts, God. Lord, that we may obtain your word and your knowledge, Lord, that we can go forth and be good stewards for you. Lord, I'm so thankful for a congregation, Lord, is willing to come and sacrifice a Sunday night, Lord, to, to worship with each other and to worship you. Lord, I pray, Lord, that we be attentive and push everything aside tonight, Lord, that we can take time and focus solely on you. Lord, I'm thankful I praise your name. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Go ahead and turn to Philippians chapter 2. And as you turn in there, I'm going to tell a little story. Philippians chapter number 2. So there's a story told that there's two wives in a laundromat. And they're washing their clothes. They're washing their husband's clothes and their children's clothes. And, uh, and I would hope that... Uh, uh, that that this one one of these women are not one of the women here in the church. But there's a story of these two women that are cleaning their husband's clothes. One woman, she's talking, she says, Man, we just are not happy. We're not joyful in anything. The, we don't like our marriage. We don't like our children. We hate the church. The song leader's horrible, and the pastor's an idiot. I can't stand going to church. I can't stand anything. I've lost all my joy. The other wife says, looks to her and says, well, I'm actually pretty happy. I'm fulfilled in my life. My husband's a good man, and I have wonderful godly children, and we love our pastor, we love our song leader, we love our church. And as they were, it fell silent there for a few minutes, and then you can notice that one of the women was hymning the hymns of the, of the jeans on the knees, and the other one was hymning the hymns on, on, on the rear. You can see that the joy is different in different cases. One woman lost the joy of, of, of everything that she held dear at one point in her life, probably. She lost the joy in the church that you would think it would be a joyful place, and the other woman had full of it. But what is the source of joy? Have we lost joy? What is the meaning to have joy? And in Philippians chapter 2, I think this is a wonderful book, first of all, in Philippians, you see Paul, and he is a joyful man. He is in a situation that you would think that would not be joyful. He is in a situation that you would think there would be senseless to have any kind of happiness, any kind of fulfillment, but yet he is ecstatic about the things and the, things that he, the people that he is talking to, that he is full of joy and fulfillment in the things that he is doing. Paul had abundant joy in all things and all possibilities. But why? why? Why was he in prison and how could he experience so much joy in this? Paul tells the church in Philippi that uh, uh, when he writes to the church of Philippi, he encourages them to have joy and to be fulfilled in the walk, the difficult walk, with Christ. Now in Philippians chapter 2, starting in verse 1, it says that if there be... Uh, Excuse me. If there be therefore any consolation, any encouragement in Christ, 
If any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels and mercy, if, you, if your hearts are filled with mercy, if the most deeper parts of your body are filled with mercy, fulfill ye my joy, make me happy, that you may be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord and of one mind. Let nothing be done through strife, through selfishness or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Be, have the mind of Christ. The questions I want to raise tonight, some questions I would like to propose to our hearts is, have we lost joy in the church? Have we lost joy around other believers? And the biggest question of all, have we lost joy with Christ? Is this something that we have lost along the way of all the trouble and all the heartache that we've faced? Have we dropped it on the curbside and said, I don't want any part of joy? I don't want the fulfillment that Christ brings. Where does my joy come from? Paul knows that the church of Philippi is threatened by some of these persecutions. Paul knows and he sees that the church of Philippi is being, pro, is, is being uh, persecuted with heresies and, and, and disunity, but yet he writes a letter of encouragement to say to press on, to continually have faith in the Lord, to not lose your joy in Jesus. He says in verse 5 there in chapter 2, he says, Be like Christ. Have the mind of Christ. Humility is essential to release the burden of pride. It is essential to release the burden of doubt and uncertainty. If we truly want to know what joy is, to experience joy, to have that joy again, to know joy is to know that there is victory only at the cross where Jesus laid down his life. There's only joy in the hope and the restoration that we have with Jesus. Would you agree? That there's only hope in Jesus, and we can have assurance in that. And that is a great song list that Seth and I picked. I picked uh, uh, that second one because I knew you get long. I get. New, I knew you get uh, tongue tied on some of that because it's a hard one to sing, but it's a great song. Joy unspeakable and full of glory, and we have blessed assurance because of this hope that Christ brings. The first thing I want to look at is that how can we restore joy into our spiritual lives? How can we restore joy into the walk that we may have traveled so hard in and we just lose it? When Paul says to be like Christ, so let's go through the characters of Christ. So starting in verse 6, I want us to know that, that there is a servant to be made. So starting in verse 6, who being in the form of God... This is, he's talking about Christ here. Thought it not robbery to be equal with God. And when we talk about robbery, it's to take advantage of, to exploit. He says that Christ, him being the solely son of God, being completely divine, did not see him being the son of God to be exploited. He did not use him being the son of God to take advantage of the people. But in verse 7 it says, But made himself of no reputation, and took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men. Christ did not come to focus strictly on his divinity. Christ came to show an opportunity to come to the cross and accept repentance through his divinity. 
We can only experience hope when we humble ourselves down like Christ as a servant. When it says Christ came to be a servant, that Greek word for servant is doulos. And it literally means doing something in regard of not yourself. Doing something in return for somebody else without getting nothing in return. And would you say, church, can you say amen to this, church, that Christ set that as an example to doing something out of regard of himself for the betterment and the fulfillment of the grace and the mercy of others, which would be me and you if we accept him as our Lord and Savior. He is a servant to man. And even says in, the, in, the, in that uh, uh, Greek translation that it is a literal slave. He was a slave to death to the point of saving our souls. And you can easily see that on the cross. You see all through history that kings and queens, presidents, they're served hand in over fist. They have maids and they have all of these servants that help them uh, uh, take a bath and draw their bath and bring, bring me a Coke or, or hand me my bath towel. Do all these things for me. And a lot of times you would hear these stories about these kings and queens and presidents that they would just basically do nothing but yet their servants would just rub their feet, put their clothes on and do everything for them. And it seems like the only time the act of humility that they would bring was to bring forth a uh, PR stunt, a campaign saying, I'm humble, I will serve the community, I will serve the man that I am stipulant to. But Christ came to rule in a different manner. Christ came to serve instead of to be served upon. People did not flock to Jesus because of a PR stunt. People do not come and follow Jesus because the disciples were posting posters on the doors' walls of the people of Israel and saying, come, uh, he will t he'll kiss your children, he'll pay your taxes, he'll do all these things for you. John the Baptist did a little bit of that, but he said that the judgment of God is coming and the Son of God is coming. But people flocked to Jesus because of the things and the miracles and the servitude that he did for the people of Israel and the words of hope and the words of judgment that he brought. He came to serve. And in the end, what did the people not want? They didn't want a king like that. You can even see all the way in 1 Samuel chapter 8, 6 through 8, and I liked what Seth said this morning. I was talking to him earlier, and he said the kiss me, the keep, keep it simple Sundays. I love it. So I want to put the verses up here. But 1 Samuel chapter 8, 6 through 8, and this is all the way back in the Old Testament, and God was ruling over the people of Israel, and they'd come out of Exodus. But yet time and time again, the Israelites did not want, it seemed like they did not want any part of God, but they wanted to be like the other nations. So here in 1 Samuel chapter 8, verses 6, 7, and 8, when they said, give us a king to judge us, Samuel considered their demands wrong. So he prayed to the Lord. But the Lord told him, listen to the people and everything they say to you. They have not rejected you. They have rejected me as their king. They are doing the same thing to you as they do to me since the day I brought them out of Egypt until this day, abandoning me and worshiping other gods. And then you see it reciprocate all the way when Jesus was nailed on the cross. That he came to rule as king, but yet the people denied him. His own followers denied him. But he is still truly king. I have a friend of mine, she, uh, she was a she's a paramedic. But she actually left uh, the ambulance service to go be a mortician. And uh, I don't know what possessed her to do that, but 
that's, that's fine, with, well, fine with her. But a mortician, as I think about it, a mortician, what do they do? It's, it's truly an art form, I, I, I would have to say. That they take something that is dead and they take something that's possibly rotten and they turn it to something beautiful. They take a body and they, they, they fill it with formaldehyde to stop the decay. They, do, they put all these chemicals to stop the delaying of the decaying process. They doll them up, put them in a suit and tie or a dress. They put all this makeup on and they look so pristine to almost look lifelike they, like they were never dead. Beautiful, beautiful pieces of artwork that I would say that it, it just amazes me what some of these morticians can do. But you doll them up and you can do all this stuff with an individual that has deceased and has passed on. But there's still a dead body. This is sad that it comes to this state of mind that when we act and we serve and we self-serve and, 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 we, and, and we, we, we build up ourselves and we, we make ourselves look so good internally and we become a Pharisee and we become a Sadducee, but then internally when we look great, we are actually dead. This is a sad case when we lift ourselves up and we self-serve. I believe Tom Rainer said in one of his books, it's like taking candy in all the time. You take in candy all the time, what's going to happen? You're going to get sick. You self-serve, you, you, you treat yourself all the time. You've got to take some good nourishment. You've got to go and serve the people of, of, of Kufu. You need to go serve the people of the world in a way, the manner that Christ has called us to do. Be like Christ and you will be fulfilled with joy. To act in selfish, selfishness is no better than being a dead man. To restore our joy in the victory of the cross, if we want to, be, if we want to worship with true joy on Sunday mornings and Sunday nights, we have to have the same part of service as Christ did on that cross. That's, the only, that's one of the only ways that we can experience true joy when we humble ourselves down to the knees and the feet of Jesus and we say, I humble myself down to you, Lord, and I accept that I'm a sinner and I accept that I am unsaved by my own grace but only yours alone. He will show us true joy. This church can experience true joy. My life, my personal life can experience true joy if I only serve like Christ did. Not only does Christ tell us to serve man and to, to have a humble heart in service, but how can we experience joy elsewhere? How can, we, how can we have joy in another manner? He tells us in verse 8, And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself, and became obedient unto death, and even the death of the cross. There's obedience when it comes to joy. Worldly nations, I would, I, would, I would dare to say that there's not one worldly nation that was not brought forth without death, destruction, or some form of bloodshed. Countless lives lost. There's not one nation that there has been someone died for. And you even see this within Israel in the, in, in, in the Old Testament. You see that many times David, even though a man after God's own heart, that he was not allowed to build the temple because of the blood that was on his hands. And it passed down to Solomon. But you see all through the nations, they want, it seems like all, when they focus solely on themselves, that there's always countless bloodshed being brought forth. But God's kingdom is different. God's kingdom was ushered in that nation. God's nation was brought in by peace, by the bloodshed of one man for the cost of all. One man. Could you guess who that is? Jesus. One man, the bloodshed of one, can save all. 
John chapter 18, verse 36 and 37. It says that my kingdom is not of this world, said Jesus. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight so that I wouldn't be handed over to the Jews. But as it is, my kingdom is not from here. Then you are king then, Pilate asked. You say that I am king, Jesus replied. I was born for this. And I come into this world for this, to testify to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. If we are to announce the arrival of, king, of the King Jesus, if we are supposed to announce the arrival of our Lord and Savior, we must be obedient to the truth that he is the Son of God and he came to die for us. We have to be obedient to the cross. If we really, truly want to announce that he is king, in John chapter 3, verses 1 and 5, you see that Jesus, even at the point of death, when he knew that everything was about to occur, and he knew that he was about to be crucified and be betrayed, he still was obedient to the point of death. John chapter 13, verse 1, it says, Before the Passover festival, Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart from this world to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. And then four verses down, what does he do? Knowing that the time has come, knowing that he is about to die, knowing that he is obedient to God the Father and being crucified on the cross, what does he do? Next, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet and to dry them with a towel tied around him. Does not not grip you. That grips me knowing that he was about to die. The obedience of him to the Father, knowing that he was going to die and be crucified for the greater of man to save all of us if we only choose. But yet he was still willing to serve and obedient to the Father and saw what was to come by the disciples to come and bring forward the foundation of the church. Does that not bring you joy that Christ was still fulfilling the purpose of his coming? It's ironic that, that a crown was placed on the head of Jesus, signifying royalty, but yet in the hands of the pagans and the Pharisees, it was in mockery. A crown of royalty. It's ironic that the, 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 the pagans and the centurions, they placed a purple robe to mock him, but a purple robe signifies royalty. He is the king. He is the king of the Jews. He is king of all kings and the, and the prince of peace. It's also ironic that that plaque was placed over his head to herald his coming, but yet it was placed as mockery. Jesus the Nazarene, king of the Jews. Jesus is far greater and far different than what man wanted. He, he is not what people want him to be. And a lot of times they contort and they, they try to fit Jesus into this little box. It's like, this is how I want him to serve me. This is how I want Jesus to be. This is how I want him to, to look like. I want him to fit this need and fit that and fit that. But the thing is, though, that we need to place ourselves and our characteristics aligning parallel straight with Jesus. If we want to experience true joy in our lives, if we want to restore that joyfulness that we have in Jesus, if we want to restore that joyfulness that we come when we worship with fellow believers, we have to be obedient to the cross. And we have to be obedient to Jesus. This is very important. I want us to be a joyful.
church. I want us to be joyful together. I want people to see us when we're out serving the community, we're out at our jobs, out at family reunions, and they see something different in you and me than anyone else. And they say, well, what's something different about them? Why are they so joyful compared to other, other people, other people of the world, and, and why are they so different? You're opening a door of a conversation that would not normally be opened, all because of the grace and the mercy and the joyfulness, fulfillment in the body of Christ. What did Jesus lose when he gave everything, when he gave love to man? He lost nothing. He lost nothing. And then so what do we lose when we give love to man? We lose nothing. We lose nothing. Nothing can stop the spreading of the faith as long as we're obedient to the Lord. Philippians chapter 1 verse 12 you see that Paul, being in prison, he says, Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has actually happened to me has actually advanced the gospel. It has advanced the kingdom of God. How can it advance the kingdom of God when he's in prison? The jailers hear it. The prisoners hear it. I'm sure the judges of the, of the court heard it. Why? Because he had joy in the name of God, in the name of Christ, had fulfillment and joy in the knowledge that he was, had hope in the victory of the cross in jail, and people heard it all the way while he's in chains. We're unshackled right now, fellas and ladies. We have the freedom to speak f freely in, 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 in our country. We have, we, have the, we have the freedom to speak so openly about our faith. Unlike some nations as China are being persecuted and being churches are being shut down and, and, and in North Korea where you can't even speak the name of Jesus without being flogged or put in prison or even being put to death. Take this opportunity and have joy in the body of Christ. We need to have service. We need to serve and have that humility in front of Christ. We need to have obedience to the cross and to his commands we can also experience joy by giving evidence of the faith. Starting in verse 9, it says, Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him. He has lifted Jesus up and given him a name which is above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow and things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth, which is also a prophecy when the, king, when the judgment is happening, that everyone will finally proclaim that Jesus is Lord of lords. And that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to glory of God the Father. Verse 12, wherefore, my beloved, as ye have always obeyed, not as my presence, I'm, when I'm absent with you, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation. He says, show evidence of your salvation. Give an account for the truth that you bear with fear and trembling, with respect and reverence of God. In verse 13, for it is God which worketh in you both to the will and to do of his good pleasure. Work out your own salvation. Give an evidence. Work out the fact that you are a Christian. Do we give good evidence to herald the joyful truth that King Jesus is the King of all kings? If they took one of you out 
right now and put you on a court and put you on the stand as a witness? Do they have enough evidence to convict you that you are a Christian? Do they? Do they have enough witnesses in your life and the people within the people you come in contact with? Do they have enough evidence to say, yes, that is a Christian? Do you show evidence of your faith? If you, in Jesus, he says, if you deny me, I will deny you to my Father. I don't want that. I want to be part of that living hope. I want to be part of Jesus' grace. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. In Luke chapter 24, verses 46 through 48, he also said to them, this is what is written. The Messiah would suffer and rise from the dead the third day. And repentance for forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning in Jerusalem. You are witnesses to these things. A steward, what does a steward do when we talk about a steward? For we are steward of the house of God. We were Christians and we bear that name. What does a steward actually do? A steward bears record of their master. A steward bears that name when they go forward to a foreign land, bringing gifts to other people, to other kings and other nations, and bringing the power behind the name that they bear. The power of God is stretched out throughout the world only by us. If we only are willing to serve and obey and willing to give an evidence for the name of Jesus, the kingdom will spread. The greatest empire to ever come is the kingdom of God if we are only servant, if we are only willing and obedient to the service of Jesus. Acts chapter 28, verses 31. Proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. To be bold. To take away injury hindrances in our lives. To not be afraid to speak of the name of Jesus. To have that if we truly want to have joy in our lives, if we truly want to restore that joy, we can't restore it in ourselves, but yet we can trust in Jesus and we can uh, apply our life to the characteristics of God and the characteristics of Jesus, and he will restore the joy that we may have lost. I know there's times, and, you, and, and, and I've been there a couple times in my life where you just, you just go, you go, and you go, and I remember that one sermon that Seth uh, preached on, there's just, there's just a time to rest. There's a time to work and there's a time of rest. Whatever it is, we need to be obedient to the word of God. If uh, Seth would come and lead us a song real quick for invitation. I want us to be aware that, that there's some times and there's some people in our lives uh, that we may not understand how to reach and there's sometimes that we may come in contact with people and, and they just don't want any part of Jesus. And it may be due to the fact that we're just not being appealing to the name of Jesus. That we're just not as salt and we don't have that uh, flavor amongst us, that sense that people want to taste. Could it be the joy that you've lost? No one wants to come to church or be, a, be with a Christian that is, that is down in the dumps and, 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 and just don't want to be here. 
Don't be like that, 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 that wife that's hemming the, the hems of the, the husband's britches at the bottom. Be down on the knees and, and, and pray to God. Restore the joy of my salvation. Given to me. The, re- restore unto me the joy of thy salvation, as David says. In the shadow of the cross rose a victor over death. And that brings us stewards joy in the fact and fulfillment of service in the kingdom of God. We may be acting, we may be doing things, we may be serving so much, and we may be doing, and there's nothing in return. And it seems like you give in and you give out, and that's all you do, and you're, and you're, you're, you're beaten down. And there's no joy because there's no fulfillment. But remember that the fact of Jesus coming and dying for us should give us hope and that should give us joy. If we're only obedient and we serve as Christ has served. Humble ourselves to the cross. Do you have joy? If not, then come and restore yourself. Allow Jesus to restore you tonight. And if you're, if you're lost, I, I, I would beg you also come and, and have that joy of the Holy Spirit coming and, 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 and giving you peace. Because Christ is so willing and he is so faithful and merciful to us if we only ask and we shall receive. Seek and you shall find. Knock and it shall be opened unto you. As we sing. Page number 272. joy again tonight. And he will surely give I've been there. We've all lost joy at times. Trusting in his word. You can have joy in Christ again. You have joy coming to church again if you only trust and you believe and you come and serve him as he has called us to do. Only trust Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation. He will save 